yo, yo, it's your girl and boy CT. I'm Cindy Barnes. And I'm Travis Barnes. And we are the founders of the Overcomers Podcast. The Overcomers Podcast is designed to help you overcome adversity and live your dreams. Every week, we will be sharing stories of people who found their strength in their struggle. The Overcomers Podcast is sponsored by Journey 333. And that's a lot of threes, so let me tell you what it is. It's fitness, coaching, and nutrition. It is a place where we help you to look better, live better, and feel better, and it is mind, body, spirit. Today, we're going to help you get your mind right with our special guest. Hello, Overcomer Nation. Wow, do I have a guest for you today. You know, I think that everybody in America has probably had this thought cross their mind at one point in time or another when we're in our sanctuary, our home environment. Have you ever had the fear cross your mind? What if? What if somebody broke into my house? What if I suffered a home invasion? Well, today's guest is an overcomer of such an experience. Today's guest is Tennyson Jacobson, and everybody lives a life worth telling a story about, or at least I hope, and she is certainly living a life worth telling a story about. She is a book in the making. She will be speaking, and I'm just so excited to share her story with you today. Tenny, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me <laughs> and for that introduction. <laughs> Oh, man. Uh, I mean, your story is so remarkable. I know it's been on different channels and, uh, you know, it's, it's gotten some coverage and, uh, you know, you can certainly easily Google this story uh, because it's uh, definitely gotten a lot of traction. Um, so, you know, if you could, uh, you know, whatever way you'd like to, you know, kick us off and just share a little bit about your experience. Um, appreciate it. You know. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, this part's always weird because it's like, I feel like I'm about to drop a bomb on people. <laughs> so out of left field. But yeah, so it was um, Mother's Day 2013. So we're just approaching 10 years ago. Uh, my husband and I were living with my mom and the home I grew up in while we were going through the process of building our house. And uh, we had our daughter, eight month old um, at the time. So my first Mother's Day and we had just gotten back from being gone for a few days. And uh, so it's about noon on Mother's Day and we're uh, we're home. And at the time we owned a CrossFit gym. So uh, my husband was always on our CrossFit team that was competitive and competing. And so um, that day he, uh, we got home, he left to go uh, work out with the team. And so I'm just kind of picking up from being gone for a few days and have my daughter on the floor. Uh, my mom is in, she's actually showering. So she's in her room, she's showering. And um, where I grew up, we grew up in a really small town, uh, safe town, uh, just outside of Seattle. And uh, people like, never even came to our house because we had a really long driveway. We were on the outskirts of town. Um, and so I'm picking up and I, um, our, our front doors are these big glass doors. And so you can see everything. And I'm picking up and I see out of the corner of my eye, somebody, somebody walking up to the front door. And as you do, naturally, you know, I started walking towards the door to greet the person and it's amazing just how fast you process things because I very quickly realized, um, oh, he's he is not going to stop. Like he was walking with just such intent and I knew he was just going to walk right in the house. So um, he did. And I my reaction was to turn and run towards my daughter. Um, and he grabbed me before I got to my daughter and uh, he I had a ponytail. So he grabbed me by the ponytail he covered my mouth and bent me over the couch and um, 
to explain this guy to you, like he was, he was a big guy. He smelt awful. Like he, he smelt so bad. Um, he was so like intense. Like it was just, um, he was scary. He was, he was very scary. Um, and so he's covering my mouth, holding me by his ponytail. He's bending over me. And all I'm thinking through my head is like, oh my gosh, like he's going to take me. What is he going to do with me? What's he going to do with my daughter? Um, she's right there. So she's screaming and, um, you know, seeing everything and I'm trying to kick and scream. And I always like, I owned a gym, but I'm, I'm pretty small, but I was like, at least fit for my size. And so, you know, of course, being a woman, this is one of our greatest fears. Um, so I always wondered like, okay, I'm pretty strong for my size. Like maybe, and I'm scrappy, like maybe I can figure something out. And in that situation, it was so scary because, you know, he was probably a hundred pounds more than me and, um, scary as heck. And, and I was like, oh my gosh, I can't even do anything right now. This is, this is awful. Um, and so he gets, he gets in my uh, ear and he said to me, I won't hurt you. I just want your money. And by the grace of God, I had money in my wallet. I never carry cash. And so I had $41, uh, because somebody paid me for a hoodie at our gym. So I said, I have money. <laughs> and so he's, he, you know, pulls me up by my ponytail and he walks me to the diaper bag, which is right by the front door where he came in. And I had one of those zip wallets that um, you zip shut. And so I pull out my wallet and I'm unzipping my wallet. And I just remember my like my gut saying like, this is weird. Like he was waiting for me to unzip my wallet. And so what was off for me was like, if you want my money, wouldn't you just want to take my wallet and run and go take it all? But he waited oh. for me to, yeah, um, he waited for me to unzip it. I pull out the money. I handed it to him and then he let go of me and then he stopped and he paused and he stared at me and he had like black eyes. I've never seen anything like it before. And I felt like I was looking at pure evil. <laughs> he was terrifying. And then he hit me as hard as he could. And he walked off. He didn't even run off. He just walked off. Um, and so I, I shut the door, I locked the door, you know, I'm freaking out, screaming. And um, my mom comes running out. She sees what's going on. And so I I can't remember if I called my husband first or the cops first. I'm pretty sure I called my husband first uh, to have him come home. And then I called the cops. And again, because we lived on the outskirts of town, it took a while for them to get there. And so the next few hours were just spent like getting information. Uh, when he hit me, I sprained my ankle. So they had a aid car come, which I felt so ridiculous because my husband's a firefighter and I, I know how many calls he goes on where it's like, oh, I don't want to waste people's time. Uh, but the, you know, the fire truck firefighters came and cops were there and just all these people investigating. They even had like a canine cop trying to sniff the scent. Um, and they were going out trying to find him. Um, when my husband came home, he came home with our friend, Nick, who we own the gym with. Um, and because things were taking so long, we actually told our friend, Nick, like, hey, take Kyle's truck, go home. Like, this is taking so long. So that night, you know, Kyle's truck wasn't there, um, even though he was. Uh, 
but yeah, we tried to resume mother's day. We had plans to go to dinner. We went to dinner. That was awful. Um, oh, oh even going you're traumatized in your mother's day dinner, right? I mean, wow. Yeah. Well, okay. yeah. And I mean, what I tried to like just resume normalcy, but even like we went to the grocery store right before dinner to get something for our daughter and like just sitting in the car by myself while my husband ran in, like I was starting to realize I was just, you know, my, I felt so, um, cause like you said, being attacked in your home where it's supposed to be your safe place, like never in a million years would I have imagined, you know, and then it just, it throws your safety out the window, any sense of safety. So going to the restaurant and like, oh, I need to go to the bathroom and then walking to the bathroom and even just being in the hall, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so scared. Uh, so anyway, a different place all of a sudden, right? You know, the world is, uh, you know, shaking your foundation for sure. Yeah, totally. Um, and oh, I forgot to tell you this, but when, when we were going through the process, when, after he first came, my gut told me I had this thought come in and it was like, he's coming back. And it was just, he's coming back. And I remember telling all of the cops and people there, I'm like, he's coming back. I know he's coming back. And everybody tried to assure me, you know, oh, you know, they never come back. They just want your money. And then somebody else would say, we've been doing this for 30 years. Nobody's ever come back. And then another person would say, of course, we don't have a crystal ball, but they've never come back. And, you know, I think that's natural instinct to try and like, they probably think I'm anxious and scared. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I really felt he was coming back. And so that night, go to bed. I mean, I triple checked every window, door, any sort of entry to the house. I'd check it all. And there were a lot of them. And then I'd get in bed. I'd do it again. <laughs> I'd get in bed. And I'd do it again. And I could tell my husband was like, what is up with her? Uh, but anyway, go to bed. and. Uh, we had a baby monitor for our daughter. And so I just, I laid in bed, just staring at the monitor. I couldn't sleep at all. And we had two Yorkies and they got up almost every single night in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom. And so at about one thirty in the morning, they wake up to go to the bathroom and, you know, there's no way I'm going outside. And so I woke up my husband and I said, babe, you need to take them out. I'm not going outside. And so he got up and we always slept with a bat and a can of wasp spray because we had had the conversations about having a gun. And I hate how our story turns into a gun debate because that's not what this is. But I wasn't comfortable with having a gun and I uh, didn't think I could ever shoot somebody. Uh, so that was what we settled on because a cop that we were friends with said, hey, wasp spray is like one of the best things you can do. So I told my husband to take the bat and he um, didn't. He decided to take the wasp spray. So he goes out into the hall and um, he's walking, he walks into the hall and all of a sudden our dogs start growling and then they run back into the room with me. And so Kyle's like, oh my gosh, shut up. Don't wake people up. And then he turns around and the guy is right there in the hallway um, and immediately walks towards my husband to attack my husband. And my husband was basically like, oh my God. Um, and he tries to spray the wasp spray at this guy just pisses him off and he starts uh attacking my husband my husband's fighting back uh my husband was a wrestler and you know growing up he actually coached wrestling and so thank gosh kyle is fit and strong and 
had that wrestling background uh, because he was able to take this guy down and get him on all fours. And so I have the dogs obviously come back to my bedroom and I'm like, and what is going on? And then I could hear what was going on. And I immediately knew. Uh, so I grabbed the bat. I run out there uh, again. Kyle had gotten this guy in a headlock. And so the guy's on all fours. So his back is like wide open. And so I just take that bat. It was a Louisville slugger wooden bat. And I, you know, reach up as high as I could. And I slammed it with all my might on his back. And I did it again. I did it again. And I did it again. Um, and by the sixth, and mind you, when I'm hitting him and I'm hitting him pretty hard, I'm full of adrenaline. <laughs> uh, he is not making a single noise. There's, there's no reaction to being hit with a bat. Uh, and on the sixth time I hit him, the bat broke. And I was like, Oh my gosh, what? what? Uh, and so the, and it broke like you see in the movies, like it's just jagged. And so I thought about taking that and stabbing it into its back, but I was like, I can't do that. Um, so I dropped the bat and again, because he's on all fours, his hips are up and I'm like, okay, I'm going to kick him in the balls. So I start trying to kick him in the balls. And because I sprained my ankle from when he hit me, like it was killing me trying to kick him. Like it was just pathetic. And so then I tried to kick him with my left foot. That was even more pathetic. Uh, and so then I see the can of wasp spray on the ground and like, okay, I'll spray this in his face. And so again, his head is tucked down because Kyle is still has him in a headlock. And what Kyle is doing is just like amazing. The fact that he has control over this guy. Um, and this guy is trying to like, he's trying to grab my husband's balls, like break his finger, bite him. Like it's one of those, like, you know, kind of with UFC fighting, there's like, there's so much intense energy, but they're not really moving anywhere. They're just kind of like, this guy's kind of army crawling my husband slowly down the hallway. Uh, and so anyway, I grabbed the wasp spray. His head is tucked down so I can spray him without hurting my husband. And I just pushed the trigger down, right? Like point blank in his eyes. Um, I'm spraying back and forth, like uh, holding it down. Nothing is happening. Um, and then- The wasp spray wasn't coming out or? You're no, sorry. The wasp is working. The guy's just doing nothing. Like it's doing nothing to the guy. He's yeah. He's still attacking my husband. He's still moving forward. Um, and so then I hear my husband say, uh, Tenny, I need help. And I always get emotional in that part. Um, because to, like my husband's never needed help ever. Like he is strong, smart. Like he does, he's, our protector. He's like amazing. And so, and then to hear how he said it, he was so tired. He was so exhausted. And so to hear just his tone of voice and then that he needed help was like, it was like a light switch for me. And the only thing I knew that we could do is um, we have two big kitchen knives and one of them sucked and one of them was good. And so I went to the kitchen, I grabbed both to make sure I had the good one. And came back out and the guy still hasn't thankfully in a headlock. His back is there. And I, I started stabbing him and I stabbed him nine times in the back. And I remember like the fifth or sixth time I pulled it out and like there was a chunk of the blade missing. I mean, it's a 10 inch kitchen knife and, you know, covered in blood. And it was just surreal. It was absolutely insane. 
Um, and so by the ninth time I stabbed him, Kyle, you know, could tell the guy died. And so he's like, Kenny, stop. Um, and cause I was so jacked up on adrenaline. Like, I don't know if I would have stopped. And so he says, Tenny, stop, stop. And so then he lets him fall to his back. I stab him one more time in the stomach. He's like, stop. Um, sure. And by that time, you're my- probably, You're probably just, you know, blanked out at that point, just doing what you can to survive. I have no doubt, you know, it's- uh, Yeah. Never, right, okay. It's a crazy, it's a, you know, you hear the stories, they talk about, you know, women or mothers being able to lift cars or whatever, like the adrenaline rushes, it's insane. Um, and my mom had actually, when I had gone to the kitchen, she had heard things happening. So she had come out too. she was trying to hit him with the broken bat, um, trying to kick him in the balls too. like, and then, um, she eventually, like Kyle got her to call 911 while I was still in the kitchen. And so, you know, all of that ended up getting recorded, but it was all three of us to attack this guy. Um, yeah. And it, it started the process of, you know, then cops show up, detectives show up, we're ushered to a part of the house and, uh, it starts the investigation process, uh, cause technically we were arrested for murder, which I honestly didn't even realize I was, you know, I went to the cop's car, I was read my rights, but I, I had no, like, you, I didn't even know what that meant. I just remember sitting in the detective's car being like, please, I hope I'm not in trouble. Like, I don't want to be in trouble. <laughs> and, um, and they were so kind to us. Like I, they had me in the front seat, like I was never handcuffed. And um, anyway, but it started the process of the whole investigation and then just, um, yeah, flipping our lives upside down and figuring out where to go from there. What a horrific story. Uh, so sorry that anybody would have to go through such a thing. That's uh it's a traumatic thing, uh, but an amazing story of you and your husband working together as a team and even moms involved, you know, uh, you know, it's just, uh, you know, you overcame that situation together. Um, you know, it makes me curious as you talk about just how crazy this guy was with a, you know, wasp spray, not even, you know, not even phasing him. Yeah. Um, I don't know if they do autopsies or anything. I, like, did they find out this guy was like on major drugs or whatever? Cause like, I mean, it sounds like somebody that's, you know, drugged out or whatever. Um, yeah. That's a great question. It's the most common question we get. Uh, and they do do autopsies and there were, there was nothing, no drugs, no alcohol. It was like, which is even more terrifying, but it was um, a psychotic break. Like this guy had serious mental health issues and um, he hated women. Uh, and uh, yeah, you know, and I go back to like, you know, Kyle's, that was the first time, Kyle's a firefighter. He goes to work for two days at a time. So almost every week he's gone for two days. And so that was the first time ever Kyle was home when his truck was not. And so that guy, when he came back, he thought Kyle wasn't going to be there. And I, that reminds me to note too, um, cause a lot of times people have said like, why did you have to kill him? I'm like, well, first of all, you weren't there. So, oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> but he had some really bad intentions. Like he, he had duct tape, he had gardening gloves on that he duct taped to his wrist. He had a camera, he had a tripod, he had a flashlight. He was planning some pretty gnarly things that night that I try not to think about. Um, 
So, but yeah, no drugs, no alcohol, and just a lot of, um, yeah, mental health stuff. Do you feel that uh, he might have, uh, you know, because you're a business owner, you got a partner, you own a gym, you and your husband, Nick, you know, um, do you think that like he was able to observe you in the community uh, somehow and target you specifically or, you know, how that might have, how you might have become the target of this home invasion, you know? Yeah, that's it. That's a perfect question that we're, we wonder too. Uh, we never figured out exactly um, how he how I was the one. Um, I didn't know him at all, which statistically I found out most things happen from somebody, how you, you know them. Um, so the thought was that he probably, again, we were a small town. Um, so he probably saw me in town, maybe the grocery store, coffee or whatnot. And then he had gone through a really um, bitter divorce and it really, really didn't go well. And so the thought was that like I reminded him of his ex-wife and um yeah he he yeah wanted to harm me yeah it's interesting you know for me personally and I know that the listeners may think one way or another so I'm not really going to stay neutral on this I, I don't really have a question about why uh you know why you needed to kill him like I, I understand you know you're afraid for your life and he's broken into your home the second time and you're now afraid for your husband's and your mother and you know, your child's life, um, you know, seems to me to be an appropriate response uh, to make sure that nobody is going to uh, be harmed in this extreme situation. Um, so, uh, you know, I'd like to kind of... My comment to that, just a quick, if I can, um, I think once people hear our story, they're like, okay, yeah, like, duh. <laughs> <laughs> I think that what... What is tricky because, you know, the media, as you said, you can Google the story and there's articles on it and it they don't have all the details. It just says, you know, this happened and then that's where people make comments. And so I think that's just a takeaway, hopefully, that you never truly know what happened unless you know the whole story. And so um, but once people like hear the story, I don't I've never heard, you know, that comment. <laughs> OK, good. I'm yeah. glad it doesn't come after you tell the whole story because I'm like. <laughs> I'm like, wow, what a, uh, what an apathetic or just uh, such a, you know, wrong question, you know, to ask at that point yeah. uh, after you've heard the story. Um, yeah. You know, so let's, if we could, let's talk a little bit about the overcoming factor, because now this has happened not once, but twice. Mm -hmm. You're traumatized by not only how you've been a victim, but then how, what you had to do in the situation to overcome it. And it leaves you with, uh, you know, as we already mentioned, when you tried to celebrate Mother's Day just after the initial experience, which uh, was mild compared to the second experience, of course, you know, on the scale of things, um, you know, it leaves you with your foundation shaken. Um, mm -hmm. What were some of the immediate results as far as like the way that it may have impacted or even crippled your life, um, you know, in the the months to come, the days following, you know, like what was it like after that experience? Yeah, um, you're really jacked up. Like you're really, you're really messed up. And man, that's a great, like I'm getting emotional because I don't know if I, people always ask me that question exactly, but um, it was really hard. And, you know, it's it's been almost 10 years, but so you kind of sometimes forget about it because at least we're at a pretty good place now, but our lives will forever be changed going through something like that. But yeah, immediately after 
I mean, there's, it's tough because you just went through that, but then there's also the legal matter of being technically arrested. And, um, but like at first, like we both had open wounds. So we needed to go to, we went to the hospital and, um, infectious disease doctor because there was blood all over. So now we're exposed to him and does he have diseases? And that was like terrifying uh, thought. And so you're working through that, which thankfully there was nothing there. Um, And then, I mean, we, that, that house is now a crime scene and there's no way I'm going back to that house. So that flips your life upside down because it's like, okay, now we have our family living here. This is our whole setup. So we uh, thankfully Kyle's parents, you know, they made space for us. We moved in with them, but then it's like, what does my mom do? Like that's where she lives. And that was a whole other part that is so hard. Um, so yeah, we, we moved in with Kyle's parents and I mean, we couldn't even drive in a car by ourselves feeling safe. Like we, Kyle's dad drove us to the bank. He drove us to get groceries. Like he was like our chaperone. Um, and we uh, we moved our a mattress in their bedroom. Like we're grown adults now sleeping in my husband's parents' bedroom because we couldn't even sleep in a room alone um, and couldn't even like, once we're in there, we couldn't even sleep, you know? And we're not cuddlers, but we'd like just hold each other because we're both so scared. Um, and, you know, frequently even just having to get up in the middle of the night to like go take care of our daughter. Like I was so scared to like, oh, she needs to, you know, she's waking up. I need to go take care of her. Like just that was so hard. And so your body is, um, you know, with PTSD, you're, you're just not like your body is on high alert and you really can't turn it off. And so it was really hard. Cause just like everywhere you go, every step you take in the house, like my, like my body just is, you know, tingling and anxious in every corner you turn. And, um, I can't just, there was one night where we, a friend came over to make dinner and I was like, Oh, I'll cut the chicken. Like, thank you so much. And I grab a knife and I'm like, and I just lose it. And I just, you know, it tri- like, so there's all these just triggers and, um, you know, during the day we, and then you're running a business too. Like <laughs> we were like, shoot. Uh, so thankfully Nick was amazing and all of our trainers and then our community was just the absolute best. Uh, and then we're building a house. So there's just all this stuff going on. And um, during the day, we would got to a place where I think there was enough to distract us. But then I would remember just being so terrified. Every time night came was just like, oh, like it's night again. I hate this. Um, and then we got, we went to, in Seattle, there's the Harborview Traumatic Center. So Harborview is like the big hospital here for severe stuff. And so we went to their trauma center and started getting therapy. And the thing that we had to do with them, is called exposure therapy. And so we had to, um, you know, start exposing ourselves to things that scared the heck out of us um, that should feel normal, but we were scared to do. So like, for me, it was like being in a room by myself was I mean, off, like off the table, I did not want to be in a room by myself, but that's what I had to expose myself to. So I'd go in a room and I'd have to sit there for like 20 minutes and you're, you know, you have to go through the physiological response of your body, like sweating and panicking. And I'd turn red and I'd cry because I was so scared. And then your body comes down from that. And so then I'd, um, and not all the way, but at least what you'd have to get over that hump. And then like Kyle would have to stay up 
five to 10 minutes later after everybody goes to bed, just to like be out in the house in the dark. Um, you know, then he'd go to the mailbox and just like, you know, um, at night it was just like walked the street and back. And, you know, one of this parts of our story, I remember him saying like his mom, Kyle walked to the street and came back and her just being like, I'm so proud of you. Like, it's just these small things where you're like, your security is just so, so messed up. So, uh, yeah, a lot of months of working through, through that. And eventually, um, both for both of us, that therapy didn't feel like a fit anymore. And so a big part of what I like to share with people is, you know, therapy is scary in itself just to go do. I think that's why a lot of people are too, too scared to do it. But then even if they do it, so a lot of times therapy is not the right fit. And for us, that's, you know, ended its course. And so then it was like having to pivot and okay, this therapy is no longer working. What therapy can now work for me? Cause I'm still really messed up. Um, you know, eventually I had to get on medication, which I'm not a medication person at all. Like, I mean, I, I believe in it, but like, I would not go on big medication unless I needed to use it. And, um, and that was terrifying <laughs> to have to be like, oh my gosh, I'm uh, but you know, you're not was sleeping. Medication, was that medication like an anxiety medication or were you depressed? Yeah. Oh, yeah. No. I was on Xanax, uh, three times a day. And, you know, our society talks about these drugs and, but I, um, it's not, I always was like, I'm going to get on Xanax and be like drugged out. Like it just like allowed me to feel like somewhat normal. Yeah. <laughs> and then I also was on an antidepressant because, um, I wasn't sleeping at all. And so it wasn't necessarily, I was depressed, but I just, I wasn't ever sleeping. And so that was like a benefit of that. Um, yeah. So it was, uh, a lot of, a lot of work of, um, having to, to put in those reps to, uh, to start to have more normal experiences so you can start to train yourself, but then also give yourself grace where like, okay, I'm still not ready to sleep alone. Um, and so, so many steps of like, okay, eventually moving across the hall into our own bedroom and then eventually moving into our house and eventually Kyle going back to work, like um, so many steps that had to be um, taken with care and um, grace, but also pushing yourself. And um, I've had low moments mentally, um, you know, when you wake up, and I share it in my podcast when you wake up every day terrified for a year, um, you know, you get tired of feeling that way. And um, yeah, it was it was a long, long process. <laughs> but I always I was always so committed to like wanting to feel normal again and wanting to feel happy. Like I knew that what like how we felt wasn't normal. And I so desperately just wanted to feel normal again. And I I. I wasn't going to give up on that. That's for sure. So, well, I want to, I want to touch on two things you just mentioned first, I guess for the listeners, um, how long was that process for you until you started to feel mostly normal? I know life is forever altered, you know, yeah. but like, you know, to kind of feel like, well, I mean, maybe, I don't know if you still take medication today or not, you know, but I mean, to feel like, you know, okay, I can start to do life again. And, you know, have a majority of my life back, you know, um, yeah. how long was that process? Yeah. I think like the heaviest lifting was the first year, uh, 
because I mean, we did move into our house about nine months later, but at that point we're still having people live with us. Um, so it probably took a year to get through like the hardest part. Um, and then, um, you know, years after, um, I mean, I'm still working on it. I still like last night I had some thoughts come up and I had to walk the house and check all the bedrooms and, that's not, doesn't happen to me every night, but sometimes it shows up and I've learned to be like, accept it sometimes. But then also I have to push myself when those moments come up and be like, are you really feeling fear or are you just anxious? And, and then, you know, try to implement, um, some techniques I've learned through therapy to work through that. But yeah, heaviest lifting was a year. And then, you know, the following years after that, um, weren't as bad, but certainly, still was in therapy, was on medication, um, no longer on for quite a while. And uh, again, I was pretty, I have nothing against medication. Clearly I needed it, <laughs> but I, I did want to like, I wanted to learn how to do it on my own without having like, you know, I wanted to get back to a place where I didn't need medication. So I think I was on medication for maybe three years uh, and then was able to get off of it. Yeah, I'm going to be asking you at the end, you know, just how people can follow you and learn more from you. But since you've already touched on the fact that you started the podcast, what's the name of that podcast? Yeah, thank you. Uh, Common Ground, the podcast. Common Ground. Okay. And, uh, you know, what would uh, listeners expect to hear on your show? Yeah, thank you. So the podcast, I haven't posted for a couple of years, but what the podcast was for was again, media has done our stories. There's been a TV show about us. There's been articles and magazines about us. And all of that focuses on that event itself. And then basically it's like, end of story. Uh, They're happy now. Life is great. And, you know, the story is awful and traumatic and completely has changed our lives, but it's really the story after the story. And, uh, so the podcast was an effort to share like all the, like the first three episodes are all about the event. So it really expands on things more. And then I bring on Kyle, cause it was really important for me to have Kyle share his part of the story. A lot of the articles focus on me and it's like, we were a hundred percent a team. Uh, so to have his input and feedback and thoughts, but also to have a man share about trauma and uh his perspective which is totally different than mine um i bring on my therapist who is like i don't know how i got so lucky to be with my therapist but he is just amazing and so i bring him on to talk about trauma and so it's really just to share some different perspectives around our situation but the podcast wasn't intended to just focus on our event or trauma it was really meant to like explore all these other things that are challenges in life and that we face because going through this event just allowed me to explore myself deeper and truly start to find myself. And, and I've always said like trauma, there's no yardstick to measure trauma. Trauma is trauma. And so while ours is extreme, I've gone through a lot of other things in life that have been hard too, not at this scale. And so it's to have conversations and be vulnerable about that. But Um, I was, when I did the podcast, I was triggered because, um, some people started to reach out to me that made me feel uncomfortable and that threw me off. And I was like, what am I doing with this? And so, uh, it caused me to relook at things and, uh, 
take a pause. And so I, uh, that's where like the book has come. And so I've been working on the book and seeing where that goes. And then just really feeling, following my gut, what feels right. And is that a podcast? Is it the book and speaking, whatnot? We'll see where it goes, but there's not much on the podcast, but hopefully listeners will find value in just hearing me share our story and all those other perspectives as well. Yeah, really good. And, and you know, kudos to you for taking, I don't believe that we go through anything significant in our lives unless it's to be a benefit to other people. And so whether it be through a podcast, a book or speaking, um, you know, just, I just find it very impressive and admirable that you're willing to use that negative experience and make it a connection for others to find uh, connection, inspiration, comfort in their own trauma, uh, you know, answers in their own trauma. So thank you for doing that. Uh, that's awesome. Thank you so much. <laughs> now, the other part I wanted to touch on, which is part of your journey, yeah. is this conversation that you're having with yourself, you know, um, some people, some people, uh, you know, they think that a higher self is a woo-woo idea or whatever, but I, I do, uh, I think that well, you just kind of demonstrated that in something you said earlier, you know, what I get anxious and I need to go check the doors and windows and and then I, I have this conversation with myself. I'm like, you know, are you really afraid right now? Are you anxious? You know, like, and you're, you're able to talk yourself out of it. So my argument for people that don't believe that they have a higher self is, have you ever said that you're driving yourself crazy? Or have you ever said that you just can't stand yourself? You know, we really do have these two selves. And, and in every difficult situation, if we look for it, there is a gift. And the gift may be, you know, how it made us stronger to get through it, or the gift may be other things. Um, yeah. has, how has this impacted you in a way that you've been able to, you know, maybe evolve um, on a higher self type of way, you know, to coach yourself or, you know, spiritually, uh, whatever way you want to call it, you know, has there, has there been ways that you feel that it's made you stronger and that you've evolved? Uh, you know, just curious about these conversations that you're having with yourself, you know? Yeah, well, I have a few thoughts. So the first one that came up is, you know, there are so many people and I, I'll probably be one of them that is like, you know, every challenge is really an opportunity and that is so talked about. But I'll say like, if somebody would have told me that <laughs> during that first year, I would have been like, screw you. Like, this <laughs> is life. And right. so it's really like, but I fully believe it because now I can look back on my experience and I, I don't always say like, I'm grateful for experience. Like it's a little tough to say that, but in a way I am because it's, it is now creating a path that I'm so passionate about to help other people. And, and to your next point of like exploring myself, it's, I don't know if without that event, I would have been on this self-exploration journey if I hadn't have gone through that. Um, I, I blame my therapist so respectfully uh, for all this self-talk that happens. I mean, it's already a party up there in my head all the time, but he's helped me just reframe a lot of things. Uh, but through, you know, I when our when he first came in and I had the thought, he's coming back. That was one of the first, like, and then he came back. Um you know, it started this conversation about intuition, because when I felt that he was coming back, it wasn't out of a place of anxiety or freaking out. Like it was just this thought that came in, he's coming back. It was neutral. And so after, you know, 
doing some of the heavy lifting and with the trauma stuff, I started to really um, reflect on intuition and learn about it. And because it also was like, I was so jacked up as far as feeling safe. And so it caused conversations like, am I anxious or is this really feeling true? And so I started exploring intuition, but more from a safety perspective. Um, and I've met some incredible people who helped me, you know, talk through that and work through that. But then it led to like, I run a business. And so I remember like um, interviewing some people and like, this person doesn't feel like the right fit, but then I'd still hire them anyway. And then it totally wasn't the right fit. And so then I started to like really see examples of how intuition isn't just in a safety sense. It's also just in everyday moments. And that made me so curious because when I followed my intuition, which was really hard to do because I think it takes courage to follow your intuition. It's not usually the easy choice. It usually, you know, comes with some challenge. And so um, that I got so curious about that. And that led me to, um, yeah, more of the spiritual part and ego self versus what is, you know, true intuitively. Uh, and then when I've been able to implement trusting myself, um, things just flow so much better. They feel right. Uh, and, but it's been hard, but it's, it's been a fascinating process to learn more about and try and practice. And, um, I think if there's one thing that I could encourage women, like if women, and I don't mean to leave men out, but <laughs> we all need to trust our intuition, but I think women do have a bigger challenge, just trusting their intuition more. And so if I could help women, you know, in those small moments, and that doesn't, again, isn't just safety. It's like, is this job right for me? Do I need help as being a parent and figuring this out? Like, um, man, that would be awesome if I could just help encourage women to, to trust themselves more. Wow. That's really good. That's really good. You know, it, we already know that you have an amazing husband, uh, you know, part of me's wish that he was here on this show today, uh, you know, just hearing you tell like the whole story. And then you got an amazing therapist, uh, you know, you feel blessed to have that therapist in your life. Um, as you went on your journey to learning more about using uh, the power that's been given to you, you know, intuition, um, it's given to us all, you know, it's like a little muscle we could develop, right? Yeah. Um, what, what's been, uh, you know, some, has there been a book, has there been a mentor that's helped you with that? Something that maybe would be good for our audience to, to know about that may be willing to, or wanting to develop this area in their life? Oh, for intuition specifically? Well, or, you know, I, I'm sure it's been quite a journey for uh, yeah. personal growth. So, you know. Yeah. Fun? Yeah. So, I mean, I, the first entry point for me to really starting to dive in was podcasts and just listening to podcasts. And I showed up to podcasts more for like business because I had started this business five years ago. And I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. Like, I need to figure this out. And so, I followed people like Ed Milet, who I just love so much and um, several others. And so, and then you start to hear guests on their shows where if content resonates, then I'm like, okay, let me follow their podcast. And so I would encourage, again, this is maybe an intuitive thing, but like, you know, is podcast your thing? Is a book your thing? What feels right for you? Um, I'm not, I mean, there's so many books. I, I have a, um, I can send it to you of uh, all of the books I've read, but uh, 
My therapist was huge. And one thing uh, that I don't think people know as much about is something called IFS. It's called internal family systems, and it's a type of therapy. And it's a lot like, I think, inner child work. Uh, but, you know, so much what I talk with him about now isn't trauma. It's or our event, it's about other stuff before that I experience, or even now. And, you know, we have these younger wounded parts within us. And um, when they're not taken care of, and they're hurt, they show up later in life. And that's, I think, where I've worked through self doubt and unworthiness, and am I smart enough and all of these things. And so working with him specifically using IFS therapy, and visiting these parts and um, has been probably one of the most transformational things for me stepping into this like um, deeper exploration work. So, and, and there are IFS therapists for couples too. And so that's a, that's a really cool one. And then. Um, that's a great. Shoot, yeah. Uh, it's a great share because, you know, somebody listening might be stuck. And they might not realize why they're stuck, but there might be an inner child that's stuck. You know, there may be a core wound that you need to address. And, you know, throughout our lives, we're many people, right? And, uh, you know, there might be an eight-year-old, just for an example, an eight-year-old child inside you that just needs to let go of something. So, no, that's really good. I wanted to ask you a final question. The name of this show is The Overcomers Podcast, and you're mm -hmm. a true overcomer. When you mm -hmm. hear the term overcomer, when you think of what it means to be an overcomer, what is that? Is it a word? Is it a, is there a description? You know, what does it mean to you to be an overcomer? Okay. So what word just came to mind when you asked me was courage, um, doing things that are like doing things that are uncomfortable, but doing them anyway, um, and really pushing yourself through that. Um, I think you know, unfortunately, all too many people experience things that are very hurtful. And um, it's so sad that that's what happens, but that's what, that what does. And unfortunately, people get stuck in that. And so because it is uncomfortable to um, sometimes face things. And um, so for me, yeah, I think it's having courage. And I don't think I think courage can be looked at as like some big thing like, oh, Tenny, like Tenny stabbed somebody that took so much courage. Like to me, that wasn't what took the most courage. Like what took the most courage was actually putting in the work for the last decade of where I still struggled and, and never giving up um, because I truly wanted to be happy and feel normal again. So, yeah, yeah. I, to me, that's the, uh, that's the overall lesson of this show. Um, courage to you as an overcomer is about, you know, let's think about the exposure therapy that you went through. It's about being willing to face your fears or go inside to that inner child and find out where it's stuck. And, you know, when you're listening to this show today, I hope that it gives you courage to face mm -hmm. those areas in your life where you may be stuck, you know, because boy, what, how different is life when we can start to, as you had to learn to do, re-engage in life again in so many ways that you felt afraid to do. Uh, so, yeah, I love that definition, Tenny. Thank you so much. So if people want to get more of you, if they want to learn from you, if they want to follow you, uh, you know, I know you got a book coming out. And they, as you said, they've already done TV shows and different things. So, um, yeah, tell us how uh, people can follow you or get more of you. 
Yeah. So thank you. I'm totally in the transition of branding, you know, transitioning all my branding. So uh, you're not going to find tons of updated stuff, uh, but commongroundthepodcast.com is where uh, you can find the website. There's an email form there if you ever want to reach out. Um, and then uh, I have an Instagram page, Common Ground the Podcast. Again, there's not too much content on there, but if you want to follow, eventually it'll be combined into something and uh, into these next steps. So, yeah. and I look forward to that book that I know that you're starting to work on. And uh, you know, even if it's a few months off, you know, definitely stay on the lookout if you're listening today because. Uh, you know, you are living a life worth telling a story about, and I can't wait for your story. So uh, thank you. Thanks for being thank on the show today. Oh, thank you so much, Travis. Such a pleasure. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for listening, Overcomer Nation. Make sure if you haven't already, give us a five-star rating. Make sure that you share this and subscribe so you can see all of our future content. That's right. And if you'd like to be a guest on a future show, go to overcomers-podcast.com. If you're interested in our franchise opportunities with Journey 333, then go to www.journeyfitness333.com. And finally, if you like what you heard today and you feel like you're somebody that needs a bit more coaching, go to travisbarnes.com. Yeah!